Well, I'm Pastor Brian Wiggins. I am the brand new pastor here. So if you are new, thank you. If you are new, welcome because I'm new too. And uh, we're going to learn this together. Just this morning, we had to add chairs in the back. And I said, well, get chairs. But I didn't even know where to find chairs. That's how new I am, all right? I think there's some in here, but I didn't want to come all the way up front. But uh, we, we will get that taken care of. And uh, what a good problem, right? We have to add chairs. That's a, that's a ter- great problem. We want to deal with that one. So we're getting settled. We're getting squared away in town and uh, just starting to meet lots of people. I'm trying to memorize your names. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I should take everybody's picture and just tag you in one giant Facebook picture or something and, and try to memorize names that way. But we're working on it. Well, hey, as we are getting settled... There's, in, in starting something new here, there's another church in town that this week is going through a lot of turmoil and a difficult time, and we need to be praying for them. If you've been watching the news and just connected with some things in church here, you've heard about uh, Pastor Paris Wallace, uh, who passed away in northern New Mexico, and uh, that, that church, Connection Church downtown, is just going through some rough times right now as they try to put together the pieces after this. Could you imagine? And uh, so they're, they're together this morning, and they're worshiping this morning, and we need to pray for them as a church. We'll pray for their leadership. We need to pay, pray for Paris' uh, wife and family and, and uh, just bring them before the Lord. So can we just start by doing that and just, just bring them before the Lord? God, these are tough things when we hear news like this and hearing of fellow brothers and sisters in you who are going through a tough time, the loss of their pastor and the shock of that and um, all the, the uh, upsetting that that causes in the church and the loss that that is for this community. Lord, the testimony of Paris rings throughout this community and there are things that he's done, impacts he has made, people that he has ministered to and Lord, we praise you for those things this morning, that he was a man who gave his life for the gospel and for the good of this community. And uh, Lord, we pray for Connection Church this morning and just pray that your hand of guidance and leadership will be upon them. The words of Psalm 34, God, just ring in my head. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. How appropriate for that church this morning as they're worshiping together. We pray for Troy, their worship pastor, who used to be a part of our body here. Pray for Paris's family. God, comfort them. Give them all that they need right now. And Lord, may many surround them with love and encouragement. May we as a church look for ways that we can embrace this church and encourage them along and serve them and support them. Thank you that you're still on the throne, that you will always reign supreme no matter what life holds. Lord, that's what we trust, and we will hold on to that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever lost something that you are desperate to find? How about your keys? You ever lost those in your house and you're willing to tear it apart to find those babies? Maybe you've lost your wallets before or your homework. Or maybe even worse than all of that, your phone. And you'll go anywhere and do whatever it takes to find that, even if you have to destroy the house, open up walls, whatever you have to do to find that. It's in there somewhere, right? Well, we'll look for something that we find essential in life. We'll always go searching for the essential things. 
Last week, I told you how we are kind of buried in this sea of boxes in our house, and uh, we're trying to only open up the essential boxes because we plan to buy a house in the next few months. And so we don't want to unpack everything. And we're taking certain things out, but that leaves you in that state of knowing that there are things you need in a particular box that you may or may not have labeled all that well. And on our end, it may be more on the didn't label all that well, or you labeled it, and then maybe somewhere along the line, you changed what was in it. I've opened a couple of boxes like that so far, and I'm like, how did this end up in there? And what I thought was in there was not. But this weekend, I was looking for a tool. I needed a particular tool to work on, on my car, change the oil in it. And I opened four boxes before I found the wrench that I was looking for. I'll go through whatever it takes to find it when I think it's essential and it's something that I need, right? We'll search high and low to seek for something like that. But it's kind of interesting because there's certain boxes that we will not open because we think we don't need them. We're going to put them aside, some decorations, because we're not going to do a lot of decorating yet, and we'll just put those aside. But have you ever moved into a house and there were boxes that you decided you didn't need right away and they went to the back of the stack of boxes and years later you found them and they're still not opened because you didn't think you needed them, right? They just kind of ended up in the back of the stack. And I've got something really brilliant to say to you. Hold on. You're only going to open the boxes of the things you think are essential, right? And the same is true in life. You're only going to go after things that you think you need. But you know what? We do that with our spiritual life, with our walk with Jesus. We only seek after the things that we believe that we need. But Psalm 14 verse 2 says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. In other words, God is looking and he's looking for the person who's looking for him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I love what Acts 17 reminds us of, is it talks about how God has done all these acts, all these wonders in the world, and he's done all these things to cause us to look for him. And the way this is phrased is wonderful. It just says that as we look, the the, the reason for it, and as we look for him, is that people would feel their way toward him that we would feel our way toward him. And it says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God does not play hide and seek in a way that you'll never find him. If you look for him, you will find him. And you will find him in the person of Jesus. And so God reveals himself to us. He wants us to discover him. And we're going to begin a sermon series that we're calling Seek. And in this sermon series, we're going to press in. And as a church body, as we start, my prayer is that as a church, we would seek Jesus like we never have before. And I don't care if you've been seeking him for many years or if you feel like you're very close to God, we can go further and we can go deeper with Jesus. And that's been our prayer. But here's the one thing I can't do. I can't do the work of God. And the work of God is to put within his, by his spirit and with his word the desire to seek. How bad do you want God right now? How bad do you need him? Let's pray just to ask God to pour that into us as we begin this series. God, we come before you one more time this morning asking you to put within us by only your spirit's work a desire to seek you a desire to see you take us beyond where we've ever been before with you. 
So God, put in us right now a holy discontent for where we're at so that we would go further. Put a burning desire in our hearts for your word, for you to speak, for worship, for obedience, for joy, for change and character change within us. Lord, that the treasures that are in you, the abundant treasure that is found in you, would be ours. We don't want to miss it. Breathe a fresh breath of life upon this congregation in the next eight weeks. Lord, as they've been through such a long journey of waiting and processing and praying and looking for what you would have for this church in the next season, in between pastors here, God, would you pour out a breath of fresh air? And we pray this all in the name we believe, the name we trust, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that man, Jesus, one day was out with his disciples, and the disciples were peppering him with questions. And Jesus would often do what he does to us, and he was answering their questions, but he gave them far more than what they asked for. And so the disciples are curious about what the future held for the kingdom and what their place would be in it. And Jesus, if you're going to go away, this doesn't make sense. And where do we fit in all that? And Jesus is giving them this answer that is, blows them away. It's way more than they were initially thinking they were going to get. And in it, he begins to tell about himself. It's John chapter 15. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there with us because it's where we're going to camp out today. And you can keep your finger in that spot. It'll also be on the screen. But John chapter 15 We're going to look at the first five verses of this. These are Jesus' words, and he says to the disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. In the book of John, we discover eight different times where Jesus uses this phrase, I am, and he begins to describe himself. These I am statements. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at those I am statements where he begins to reveal who he is. You see them on the screen here, these eight statements. Seven of them are metaphors. A metaphor is the type of language we would use when we're saying like. It is like something. And so when Jesus says he is I am the bread of life. He is saying not that he is a literal loaf of bread. He's saying I'm like a loaf of bread. And he describes what that means. And there's there's something about that that changes our life and changes the way we live when we discover that. And so there's seven metaphors. There's one absolute statement in there. And it's John 8, 58, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. And that's the absolute statement. But when we're dealing with metaphors, we have to understand that we need to be a little bit careful. Because he's driving home a point, but he's not digging out deep and carefully crafted little points of doctrine that we could get accidentally dogmatic about. 
We need to get the big idea picture of what he's saying and stick to that and work really hard to discover that. And so we're going to do that as we look at these different metaphors. And today we're going to start with that last one, I am the true vine, because I believe that this is the place that God wants us to begin. And then we're going to go back to the beginning of that list and work our way through it. In World War II, the beginning of the invasion of Normandy on uh, D-Day, there were a number of American paratroopers, thousands of them, that, par- uh, that, that parachuted in behind enemy lines. And they carried with them an essential piece of equipment, something known as the cricket. The cricket clacker, just a small two-inch little piece of metal, square piece of metal, that when they could push, it would make a noise, just a click noise, like that. And they used it as an early IFF, or identification friend or foe. And it was a device that when they were together in total darkness behind enemy forces and they were scattered all throughout, out of position in those areas, if they came across an, another person, they could click it once and see what the response was. And the instructions were one click and respond back with two clicks. And then you would know there's another American force or an ally force to, to team up with then. General Maxwell Taylor, who was part of the 101st Airborne Division, said, I had my pistol in one hand and my cricket in the other. And so I crept along the hedgerow looking for a gate. And just as I found it, I heard a stir on the other side. I drew my pistol and I got all set. And then I heard the click. That was the most pleasant sound I had ever heard in the entire war. You guys, God has been going on throughout history with this clicker, calling out signaling, here I am, here's who I am, I want you to know me. And God has revealed himself to us in general ways, very general ways like creation, but also in some very specific ways, like when Jesus describes who he is. And this phrase, I am, is not a new one to scripture. In fact, it was used all the way back in the book of Exodus with Moses. And Moses is, in, the, in chapter 3 of Exodus, is trying to figure out his new call, of what God's asked him to do of leading the people out of Egypt. And he's been away from these people for a long time. And he is wondering how in the world they're going to listen to him and how will he have credibility with them. And he says to, to God, he says, how will I convince them? Who, who should I say is, has sent me to you? And God says this to him, say this, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. And so there... Even in that statement, God is beginning to reveal something about himself in a very specific way, in a very exclusive way about who he is. And so when you see an I am statement in scripture, you know that you're coming across something that is very important for you to understand because God wants to reveal something about himself to you. It's like if I came up to you and said, I am Brian Wiggins, I am the pastor here, and I am new to Grand Junction. You just gathered three bits of information that are helpful for you to understand who I am. And it's the same way with God. When God reveals himself to us with I am statements. And so we look back to John chapter 15, and Jesus tells us something very, very important about himself. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. And John chapter 15, in those words, begins with some of the most beautiful and life-giving words in Scripture. Because one of the keys to your Christian life is understanding the fact that 
you have a place in the kingdom. You have a place of where you fit and how God wants to use you. And so Jesus comes along and he uses a very common illustration in their world. And I think one that works for us in the Grand Valley. And it's one of vines and and branches and fruit coming off of those. Because most of us have some sort of fruit in our, our yard and maybe even a vine or some sort of vineyard in your own yard. And so we get this. But all I could bring today was our best vine plant. <laughs> but this will work. This will help us. And so there's different parts to this metaphor that Jesus begins to develop. And he talks about the vine. And he says, he is the vine. And he says, on that are attached branches. Pieces that come off of it and draw their life from that vine. And in addition to those branches, which the branches are us as Jesus followers, there's a gardener who looks at the plant and prunes it and trims it and takes care of it, taking off the dead wood and actually has to cut it back like this plant needs a little bit of so that it can grow more full, so that it can be all that it can be. And there's also the fruit, which on this we'll just consider the leaves, the fruit of it. And the fruit is actually the spiritual results in Jesus' analogy. The Christ-honoring, Jesus-centered results. And so Jesus begins this with the statement that he is the true vine. This big, bold statement that he makes. What's that mean? I am the true vine. What in the world is he trying to say to us here? Well, he's making a distinction between the vine and the branches here. And if you just think about it in very simple terms, he's just saying he is the part of the plant that provides the support, that supplies all the nutrients, that brings everything that the rest of the plant needs. In other words, he's the core of the plant. If you don't have the vine, it's not going to work. He brings life to the branches. He brings life out to that. But we're talking about people here. We're talking not just about a plant, but we're talking about people. You know, people look for sources of life all around us, don't they? I do it. We're looking for life everywhere we go. Even when the West was settled, as people came out and discovered all this land out here, they began to look for a water source, right? Because water brings life. And if there's no water, how can we live? We even settled along railroad tracks. Why? Because it's a lifeline to the outside. It would bring goods in and the source of, of life bring, brought to us through the railroad. But we still look for life-giving sources. And there's a lot of life-giving sources, or maybe we could call them false vines, that exist out there. Substitutes. That are in our world and we get suckered into. In fact, Revelation 14 verse 18 talks about and identifies one of these vines. Revelation is talking about the end of time. And in this book, it's described as, this false vine is described as the vine of the earth. Have any of you drunk deeply from the vine of the earth? In this vine, Jesus talks about how eventually there'll be judgment brought to that and the people who live on that false vine will be brought to judgment for that, for finding the wrong source of life, maybe making our task even more critical to get out, hey, here's the message. There is life outside of that earth vine. But unfortunately, many of us have fallen for that vine and even still are today. My bet is in this room there are some who would go, yep, that's me. Or you'd say, I'm trying to drink off of two different sources and it's just not working right. That vine promised life, that earth vine promised life, 
but in the end, it really couldn't deliver. And so one little decision led to the next. And it threw out to you these callings of, hey, drink this. Try that. Look at this. Buddy up with him or her. Go here with me, and it'll all be good. Think this way. And all of a sudden, piece by piece, things start to fall down. And into a pit, all of a sudden, you find yourself. But you know what the glory of the gospel is? Is that Jesus throws a Tarzan-like vine down to us and says, if you will grab onto this, you will find life. And I don't know about you or where you're at right now, but if you are finding yourself in this spot of sin and you are tired of it, you are tired of where you are, the gospel provides a way out, a new source of life. And today can be your day of grabbing onto that vine right now as you trust him and you say, God, I want you, Jesus, I want you to save me. He can drag you right out of that pit. So the point is clear here, guys. We can't live on substitutes. That's why that pesky little word, I am the true vine. Because there are false vines out there. I am the true vine, the life-giving source. And Jesus is making a statement here that he is unique. He's unlike any other. There's no one else in the club here. He is the only true vine. And you know what's amazing about Jesus? Is he's like that, but he doesn't hoard that to himself. He makes it available to us. And he gives his life-giving source of all being where if we're dependent, we draw that very life from him. It's a Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. It's our middle, our last name here, right? The River of Life Alliance Church. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so Jesus offers us this true vine, this life-giving source, but it also comes with a very careful warning. And it's a warning I think we need to listen to because Scripture does have some warnings to get us pointed in the right direction. Because substitutes are not only for unbelievers, they come for us as believers who are trying to abide in the vine, who are seeking him. But it can manifest itself in various ways, and it does in my life at times. And whenever I catch myself coming off course where I'm not abiding in the vine, I love that the call of Christ is always, come back to me. Come abide again. Come be with me. So here's how it comes out. It comes out in us as believers in a half-hearted dependence. In other words, we could say it like this. We're a mile wide and an inch deep spiritually. We've got our hands and fingers in all kinds of stuff that if people looked at, they'd go, that's really good. But we really maybe know that we're only an inch deep spiritually and in our journey with Christ. It comes out in this, living off of the spirituality of others. Events, going from event to event. Maybe it's riding on the coattails of your parents. That's where I was as a teenager. Maybe it's the excitement of a worship leader that you look at and you go, yes, I love that. But you walk out of here and it's really not any deeper than that. Maybe it's the, a spouse that's growing in the Lord and makes you feel like you are too, but if you really got honest, you're not. And you're struggling along. And so it manifests itself in those various ways. It just kind of comes out with that little bit of praying in your life, only a small amount of praying and communing with God on a very low level and irregularly. 
not being very intentional in your walk with Jesus. Maybe even sometimes just feeling stuck in your walk with God. Jesus wants to break through that. But you've got to hear the warning in order to break through it. So verse 2 said this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. So even if you are bearing fruit, he's going to prune it. And already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. So Jesus comes to us with this kind of a graphic warning of, whoa, are you serious? If I don't bear fruit, I'm in trouble? Let that seek in for just a second because Jesus is concerned about whether we're ultimately tied to him, but there's an identification of how we're tied into him. See, most of us think that if I bear fruit, if I can just produce fruit in my life, spiritual fruit, then I'm good. But Jesus is actually saying what's important is that you abide in him and then the result is going to be spiritual fruit. That will come out of it. So get the cart before the horse is what Jesus is telling us here. Know which has to come first, being founded and deep in Christ. And so what is this spiritual fruit? It looks like things like this. And this is just a scattered list of what they may be. Being a witness and leading people to Jesus. That's part of the core of his heart. That's a spiritual fruit. It's the result of abiding in him. Growing in holiness and obedience. Jesus is so concerned with our obedience and it's a fruit of that and it comes out of abiding in him. The desire to want to obey comes after I've sat with Jesus. But growing sanctification. Maybe it's a change in character. That's a spiritual fruit. Remember the fruits of the spirit in Galatians? That's, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about things like good works and service and praise. Those are all spiritual fruits. It's the spiritual Christ-honoring results of having abided in Christ. But here's a simple truth. Who I am as a person affects us corporately. Let's say it like this. Look around who's near you. I mean, just look around for a second. Don't feel awkward. No one's looking at you. That, they're not staring at you. You see who's around you. Who you are as an individual with Jesus affects those people you saw. So the way that you are, the depth of your spiritual walk, the depth of how you are interacting with Jesus right now affects them. Because the church, good theology about the church, says we make up the church. The church doesn't, isn't composed of this organization or this building. Really, it is us. We are the church. And so the way we bring something to the table. There was a Canadian evangelist from the CMA, Bob uh, Coglin, and he's now deceased, but he tells a story of having met with an evangelist who came from a third world country. And so he met with this evangelist and he said to this guy, so what's your number one impression of the American church? And he thought his answer would probably be something about, oh, your beautiful buildings or the number of people who are believers in, the ch- in American churches or your spiritual freedom that you have here in, in America. But what impressed him the most was not how much uh, we had, but was this, how much the American church had accomplished 
without God. It's kind of a sobering statement. It's one that bothers me. There's a little bit of a heavy tone in that, and my intent is not to create a tone that is condemning or causes us to be confused by that, but rather to ponder and consider, so what about us? This river of life, as we start a new season of moving forward in a new era at this church. What will our tone be? You know, the church can have fake fruit. My mom had these ornaments that she put on the Christmas tree. They were little apples. (laughs) She'd hang them up there. They had a hook on them. From a distance, if that was a tree and I put them out in nature and I hung them up, you wouldn't be able to tell that that was not a real apple from a few feet back. You know, some people might look at a church and go, that's really impressive, that's cool stuff. We could create substitutes, substitute spiritual fruit. But I think what God is calling us to as a church and what my prayer for us as we begin to move forward as a church is, is that we would have true spiritual fruit that comes straight from the Father's hand. That, and I'm thankful you guys are with me on that. We need to see God work. We want him to work. That what is born out of this church, what is born out of this building is not fake fruit. We want the real thing. It might take us in places we weren't expecting. It may take us to a place of being pruned ourselves. You ever been pruned in life where God has to cut off parts of what needed to come off of you, sins or just excess of who you were and God had to trim back? And it was painful, but a process you had to go through. But a few points about this warning. One of them is this, is that there's no real fruit apart from Jesus and abiding in him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That ought to ring in our heads. And I hope it rings in our heads for years to come. Nothing that is lasting will matter unless it came from Jesus and only Jesus. So let's not fake it. The other thing is this, is that abiding is going to take real, result in real transformation. And here's what happens in most churches. They either become the discipleship church or they become the outreach church. And it's all about service and action over here and less about abiding. Or this side is all about abiding and they don't really think about the service and action and where God might take us in faith. You know what? Scripture, as I read it, says we need to do both well. We have to abide. And if we really are abiding, it's always going to lead to fruit. And a lot of times, fruit bearing, it's very joy-filled. But it also takes us that where right now, if you looked at where we would go, you might go, I don't want to go there. That's too hard. It's too far. It's going to require sacrifice that I'm not prepared for. But you know what? God's grace is big. And he'll take us there with his grace step by step. So I'm not worried about that. But let's abide in him and let's do both well. And I think this passage points us well in that. And we're looking at a metaphor here, but we need to understand this other thing too. Is We may get to heaven by the skin of our teeth, not bearing much fruit. But I think this passage is pretty clear. You're fairly useless in the kingdom of God if that's your mentality. Do you want to get to heaven just by the skin of your teeth? Or would you love to just pour it on now and receive the fullness of what God has for you now? I hope it's now. And I hope that you press in to the vine. 
and you heed this warning and say, hey, here's where I am today because I love that God takes you from where we are today and says, I'm always available to you. I'm, you can always come in towards me. So if you're wandering, press in. If you're already pressing in, press in harder. Because this is true, there's a better way of life. I don't care how good you think it is now, there's always a better way. There's always a deeper level with Jesus. And I want to find it. And I want to discover it is what it is that Jesus wants for me because he says, abide in me and I in you. And so these branches are not self-centered and self-sufficient where they can survive on their own and then sometimes come back and be grafted back in. They need to stay in the vine. And I hope that that's your heart and your desire is to stay connected to Jesus, the head. And so what does it mean for you to abide? The simplest definition I can give for you is this. Complete dependence. Absolute dependence of letting go of control, of letting go of who you are so that you can abide in his love, so that you can seek his grace, that you can press in in obedience, have access to all that he is. Let him see all that you are so he can do a work in you. Let him control you where you're surrendered to him and that you're at absolute peace with him. And like Paul, you could say, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Pete Scazzaro asked this question. I think it's one we want to wrap up with. Is the depth of our spiritual life sufficient to carry the weight of our lives? Is the depth of our journey with Christ sufficient to carry the weight of our lives or our leadership? We're all in different places. And if you're a teenager, if you are an adult, we're all carrying a certain load and we have to grapple with this. Is it sufficient to carry that load? In other words, is it sufficient for Christ to carry the load through me? We have a nagging tendency to drift away from that and live in self-sufficiency. We're busy. There's stuff going on and we drift. And so when we find ourselves caught up in worship but knowing our lives are not okay, knowing that we're living over here and we walk in here and act one way, we need to call, be called back to the cross and called back to the place of abiding, which will always lead to spiritual fruit in our lives. So how do I get there? What's the path back to abiding? What's the path to a deeper abiding? It's really kind of simple. (laughs) And I almost feel bad getting up here on week one and preaching this to you, but it really is kind of the simple cores of how we press to Jesus. It's the simple disciplines of the Christian life, coming to him in the word, in prayer, in worship, in fasting, in obedience, and seeking him in fellowship and discovering all that he is in the basic things that we say do this But I don't know about you, I get caught up in this routine sometimes where those things become the goal. And I can say, yep, spent time with the Lord today, cross that off my list. And that's kind of all it was. Let's not be satisfied with that. Let's press into a place where if I'm going to take the time to be with Jesus, I just want to be with him. It doesn't matter if I've conquered enough scripture or if I've conquered something in that time. Or if I can just say I went through the motions. It's about abiding with him and having spent some time being with him. Did I meet him? Did I connect with him? 
We've got to do that as a people. Not in a mechanical way. And the results as we press into him in that way is that the life of Christ will flow through us. James Montgomery Boyce illustrates the point like this. When Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris after World War I, some of his Arab friends that he took there uh, were shown around the city. They saw the Louvre, the Arch of Triumph, Napoleon's tomb, and they really didn't find any of those things very interesting. But what they did like was what they found in the hotel room bathtub, the faucet. They were fascinated by it, that when they turned the handle, they could get all the water that they wanted. And so they said they, they wanted these things. And so as they were there and spent time in Paris, and as their time wrapped up, and they were about to return back, Lawrence found them in the bathroom trying to detach the faucet. <laughs> you see, they said, it's very dry in Arabia. And what we need are faucets. If we have them, we'll have all the water we want. And Lawrence had to explain to them the evidence of the faucets didn't lie in themselves, but in the immense system of waterworks which were, they were attached to, ultimately the rain and the snowfall in the Alps. Guys, what we need around here is to be connected to the pipes. We don't need a bunch of faucets on the wall. Is that what you want? As a church, Lord, bring us that. Give us this. Attach us to the vine. Not more programs, not more stuff that would be just icing appearance, Lord, but God, give us depth in that. And so, churches, we think about where this might take us. I think there's a decision that we have to make. And it's this, are you in? Not into committing to some big program of this church, but are you in when it comes to pressing into abiding in the vine? Can we start there? A challenge for this week and for this church. In first service, I think they'd want you to know they're in. <laughs> and it's this. This week, no matter if you're age 10 or you're 100, you can do this. And I don't know, some of you already have a routine of what you do with Christ but many of you don't. If you don't, it's this. Five days this week, would you press into the word? And here's how you can do it. I'm just going to give you a simple little instruction. John chapter 1 through 5, one chapter a day. Open it up, read it, get a piece of paper out next to you. Write down observations that you discover from the word. And then applications, you just pray and say, God, what do you want me to do as a result of this? And you might come out with one application, one way that God's calling you to obey in this. But press in and look for those. And then after you do that, spend some minutes just praying. Might be two minutes, it might be 20 minutes. I hope you get caught in praying. But just press in. You gotta start. Take a first step. Others of you, you're already doing something. But would you press in harder this week? And say, for sure, five days, maybe seven be wonderful if we did seven and go deeper and go further and seek God in a new way this week. Ask him for it. Every week we're going to have a new challenge. I'm going to give you some tools in the coming weeks, some ways that we can press in to abide in the vine and look to Jesus to be all sufficient. This summer you might be out and about. That's okay. We're going to be on vacations. We'll be up in the mountains. That's how it is. But don't take a vacation from Jesus. Do these things. You can do this when you're not here. 
In fact, you might even have more time on vacation to do this. And so press into these things. Our worship team is going to bring us back up to a point of being able to just come before God and worship him before we leave. And let's just bow our heads. I want us to just be quiet for a moment. I asked you, are you in? Talk to Jesus about that question for just a minute. And then they're going to lead us in a song. I'm going to invite you to stand or stay, remain seated or come out to the aisles and dance or raise your hands or whatever you need to do uh, to respond this morning. As we sing this last song, I, I pray that it's just not a routine of, oh, we close in song. Um, I pray that it can be a, a fresh and a new way of, let's respond to Jesus' call. I know he's speaking to me. And I know he's speaking to you and he's speaking to us as a church body uh, this morning. As we do, as we are beginning. God's been stirring the pot up and now, now he's, he's, the dust is settling very clearly of, of where he wants to take us as a body and as individuals. Um, simply this, let, let's respond to him this, this morning. We're going to sing a song that's not new to you. You may have heard it floating around the radio in different places, but... Uh, oh, come to the altar. The Father, got his arms are open wide. There's forgiveness, there's grace, but there's also a newness of life that he, he offers to us as the vine, as the true vine. He offers us newness of life. And what we've heard this morning, may we respond in our hearts. Guys, the front's open. I don't know if you need to publicly declare to yourself or to others, I'm all in. I want to seek you, Jesus. The, the front's open to come, and if you come, we, we'll, we'll be here. We'll pray with you. Someone will see us, and we'll come pray with you. They, they, respond the way God will lead you to this morning, but let's respond, and let's seek his face, even as we sing this last song.